Are you a teacher or student who's always wanted to learn more about CubeSats in the classroom? Then don't miss this opportunity. The inaugural SmallSat Education Conference will serve as an important East Coast gathering where educators, administrators, and students will learn about CubeSats, ThinSats, and high-altitude balloon programs. Our target audiences are faculty and students from middle school all the way through college. Presenters will include existing university teams and industry experts. Attendance is free for students and educators, and exhibitors and vendors are encouraged to showcase their products and services. To learn how to start your own program, join us on October 29th and 30th at the Center for Space Education Building at the Kennedy Space Center Visitors Center. Please visit the website for more information and to reserve a space. You can find that at smallsateducation.org. That's S-M-A-L-L-S-A-T education.org. Let's go to Space Blue Sky Learning, Episode 79, Student Project Spotlight, from paragliders to xenobots and digital engineering in space. Today, Kevin and I meet with two more of our extraordinary middle school students who are doing real-world aerospace. Argirios Dini Vitsos is entering 8th grade, while Dylan Kiesling is entering the 7th. Both boys are finishing up at the same private school in Palm Beach Gardens and will be looking at promising high schools in their future. Dini shares about his team's work on building a paraglider with the intention of retrieving high-altitude balloon payloads, while Dylan Kiesling discusses his work both with Xenobots, which are live robots made from frog cells, as well as how digital engineering makes space applications more approachable for students. These two incredible young men continue to build impressive resumes based on their particular passions. We can help your students do the same. To find out more, please visit our website at aerospacehigh.org, that's A-E-R-O-S-P-A-C-E-H-I-G-H.org, or our social media links found in the show notes. And as always, stay tuned after for our takeaways. Welcome to you, Dini and Dylan. We are so grateful that you're willing to spend some time with us this afternoon to catch us up a little bit about on the, the great works that you've both been doing. Um, I'm going to go ahead and start a little bit with Dylan. I know that I've already kind of introduced you to the group, but maybe share a little bit about who you are and how you came to be involved in the Aerospace and Innovation Academy, and then we'll follow up with Dini. All right, yeah, so um, my name is Dylan Kiesling. I'm currently going into seventh grade, so I'll be a seventh grade member of this team. I can kind of give you like a timeline order of how I've been involved in this team. Um, so I've been involved in this team for a long time now. Um, I basically started in kind of the fourth grade. Um, I was able to do this due to my brother. He was involved in this team. Um, so he and Mr. Simmons would kind of let me sit on the meetings and just um, see what things they do. Um, so in fifth grade, I joined a program called Space Club. Um, this was also run by Mr. Simmons and it was kind of like an admission process into the Wolfpack. So in this club, we kind of did, we learned about basic open mechanics and like worked in groups together. And then after that, I finally got to join the Wolfpack. Um, so the main role I played in the Wolfpack is the lead CAD designer. So I've been the lead CAD designer for um, two CubeSat missions now, the Wolfpack one and the CapSat one. Um, and the CapSat one just launched to space just uh, um, a few weeks ago. Um, but I'm not just on CAD. I've also presented at numerous conferences around the world, such as um, Dubai, Greece, and in a couple of weeks, I'll be presenting in Paris. So exciting. All right. Well, Dini, tell us a little bit about your involvement 
with the Airspace and Innovation Academy. So my name is Aryeryal Spitsos, and I'm going into the eighth grade. I'm in South Florida, and I'm part of the Wolfpack CubeSat development team. I joined the Wolfpack CubeSat development team because Mr. Simmons and Ms. Christensen were at the school I was, uh, the Y school. And so uh, when I was in fourth grade and fifth grade, I really got to look up to all the students who were in the higher grades and part of the Wolfpack. So once I joined the, once I was in the sixth grade, I joined the Wolfpack CubeSat development team. And I've participated in many conferences such as the Coast Bar in Athens and the Hawaii International Conference on Education uh, in Hawaii. And um, in the Wolfpack, I've mainly focused on my project of the paraglider. And Great, I'm glad you mentioned that. Well, first of all, congratulations to both of you. For our listeners, we're talking about middle school students not even in high school, right? Middle school students who have spoken internationally numerous times. And in not just speaking, you have to do a lot of research and writing in order to even be accepted at those conferences. So you guys have publications under your belt as well. That's really impressive. So I think it's a great idea, as um, Dini was mentioning, the paraglider. Why don't we go ahead and kind of move into a little bit about what your current research looks like so our listeners get an idea of how students start in middle school, but they take a project and over the period of years kind of continue to work with that. Dini, we'll start with you since you mentioned the paraglider. Can you tell us what that is? and what you're hoping that that will do? Okay, so the Paraglider Hab project has been a project I've been working on for a while. So high-altitude balloons, or HABs, are large weather balloons that can reach anywhere between 60,000 to 100,000 feet in the sky. They can carry equipment that collects data with them, which uh, is, can be used in a multitude of fields, such as astronomy, imagery, and much more. And so... What happens is uh, at the WCDT team, we um, test uh, telemetry equipment. And so we usually put them in buoys and attach them to the high altitude balloons. So when the high altitude balloons go over the sea and burst, the buoy falls into the ocean and gets lost. So what we're hoping to achieve is after the balloon bursts, to have a paraglider deploy and guide the buoy all the way back to the launch site of the high altitude balloon or a more easily accessible location. There were two main objectives in this project. The first was to test uh, the HAB telemetry equipment uh, on a HAB launch. And the second was of course the paraglider and to retrieve all of our equipment. So the process that you're in now, I, so it sounds like, and remember, I'm kind of new to all this stuff. I learned from you guys, right? So you would, you were having problems with being able to retrieve your payloads from these high altitude balloons. And I know that sometimes you guys use these high altitude balloons as almost like precursors for what you do with your cube sets. Is that right? Yes. So you're trying to mitigate the problem of losing the payload so that you can retrieve them. Does that allow you to use it again if you're able to do that? Or is it just to save your data? Uh, it'll allow us to use it again, and uh, if we fly more experiments, it'll allow us to perform um, more uh, data collection on it once it's uh, flown back down to Earth. Yes, and uh, Dini, I, I last saw you uh, in Athens, Greece, and you were actually also working a poster uh, for another student in the poster session. I want to back up a minute. You had first mentioned Hawaii. Do you, can you share just briefly what you spoke about? That was, was, am I correct? That was your first 
big time conference for us, right? In Hawaii, almost, uh, I guess, back in January. Could you share a little bit about Hawaii and the Heist Conference, what you did there? And then also share a little bit about your poster uh, that you uh, helped. You were, you were uh, a poster in a poster session in Greece. Yes. So I was part of one of my colleague Landon Strauss's paper in Hawaii. And we presented on the applications of artificial intelligence in the classroom. So uh, we did a lot of research and how it can be used. And we found that it would mostly be used as an assistant for the teacher to allow the teacher to have more time to focus on the students and um, prepare a better present, uh, uh, have a better experience for all the students. Now, that was my first um, major conference that I presented at. And um, in Greece, the poster session, um, I was part of Alex Castronovo's uh, Python Orbital Mechanics project. And what we did was we wrote a Python program to help um, decision making on the most optimal orbital transfer uh, based on a spacecraft's fuel and time constraints. Okay, share uh, with our audience that may not know about orbits or orbital transfers, uh, if you could share just briefly, uh, what is a Hohmann uh, transfer uh, and how did you learn about it? So when a spacecraft launches, it usually goes into a parking orbit. From there, it can fire its engines in many different ways to get to the destination orbit. So a Hohmann transfer is the simplest um, and the first way that we learn of how to fire the rocket's engines to move it to the destination orbit. And I first learned about the Hohmann transfer at, um, I think it was the orbital mechanics camp that you have. And uh, I learned more about it in the aerospace class. In so, so you guys took the mathematical principles that you understood, and I know because I assigned you the problem, you did them on paper with a pencil and a calculator, and you converted that uh, knowledge to be able to do Python. You wrote Python code so that you could optimize orbital transfers of different types. Is that a fair summary? Yes. Okay, we're going to come back to you to because uh, I want I have some questions about like how uh, how you're ending up deciding you know the factors to build something like that paraglider, but also um, you know about just teamsmanship in general, like some of the difficulties that you might have seen uh, with that. But first, I want to go to Dylan to have you share with us a little bit about some of the research that you've been doing at these conferences as well. Um. Yeah. So, um, the most recent conference which we attended was um the Kaspar, um, which was in Athens, Greece. Um, I presented two presentations um, and, and at this at Kaspar. So the first one, which was Xenobots, I did by myself. So I'll just give a little bit introduction of what Xenobots are. So Xenobots are like the first living programmable nanorobots. Um, and as part of our team, we engage in numerous molecular biology projects and research different pilot ideas. And one of the things we decided to research about were Xenobots because we believe they could have great potential for future applications relating to spaceflight. So Xenobots are the first living programmable um, nanorobots, as I mentioned, and they have the ability to do multiple tasks. And one of these tasks is the ability, the ability to replicate. Um, so meaning they can replicate, so that means they can uh, theoretically exist perpetually. So like as we look to undertake um, longer um, space missions, for example, in medicine, they could play a um, um, whole new role. And then the other presentation, what I did, which I did was with my brother about digital engineering. So as I um, briefly mentioned in my introduction, I was the lead um, CAD designer um, for um, two CUBE satellites. And one of these satellites just recently launched CAPSAT-1. 
So I just in my presentation, um, but as I only learned to, um, so in Caps Out when I learned that um, I'm very fortunate to have this experience, and a lot of kids don't have the experience to learn CAD and to apply them in, um, and to apply them in hands-on um, projects such as this. So I decided to write a, um, a paper about sharing my knowledge on how like um, kids need to be introduced to CAD in early years and how um, the, prog the progression project, the, pro the progression um, to get more advanced at CAD. So you're, you're using CAD, I, I think generically, but there are actually two or three programs you use, right? So what are the specific programs that you use and sometimes uh, integrate together? Yeah, so um, in my presentation, I talked about um, three main programs. Um, the first one was Tinkercad. So Tinkercad is like um, a um, basic program that um, you mean like elementary kids, um, elementary um, kids um, would learn. Um, so Tinker, it's very, even though it's a basic program and can't be really applied in professional projects, it's very essential that you learn Tinkercad um, because for example, if I didn't learn Tinkercad in like elementary school, I would have never been able to use more advanced software such as um, Blender Fusion 360, which I'll talk about um, later. So it's very important to learn the um, basic software that, that because it helps you progress to more advanced softwares. So a more advanced software that I mainly used for our project was called Blender. Um, so Blender is um, a little bit more advanced than Tinkercad. Um, however, so and I used it for most of our projects, um, the CapSat one. However, it does come with limitations. For example, can't do good measurements. Um, so then, so after we realized it couldn't do measurements and it's not really suitable for um, projects like um, a cube satellite, we, we decided to switch to Fusion 360. So Fusion 360 is a more industry grade um, software. Um, there's a free student license, um, so I could um, download it and use it. And this um, is, was very helpful um, for the CubeSat because it used measurements and it, you were able to collaborate with other people like the teachers. Right, now these skills, uh, did you take a, a camp or a class or, or are you mostly self-taught? Yeah, so um, I'm mostly self-taught, but for when, when learning Tinkercad, um, my school has a program where they taught us Tinkercad. Um, now it's helpful to learn the basics, um, but I'm mostly self-taught about like on YouTube videos I learned on Blender. Perfect. It's ridiculous the, the, what you guys are thinking about at such a young age and then how you're able to actually apply them. I want to ask a question to both of you um, in relation to how you develop these projects. So we know that you, uh, you mentioned that you're working with other people in some instances. You're working as parts of a team. I know, Dylan, some of your research is done independently um, as well. But let's talk a little bit about some of the challenges that a middle school student such as yourselves would, would see when trying to do these real world experiential learning projects. Dean, we'll, we'll start with you. What are some of the challenges of maybe working with groups or, or trying to balance your time with all the other work that you're, you have? Um, one of the challenges uh, with uh, our paraglider project specifically was um, the programming part, as a lot of us didn't really have enough experience so we had to work very hard to find someone who was able to program it. And so uh, we're still working on the programming for a paraglider. It's a really difficult program. It has to use the servo motors on the paraglider to be able to adjust the parachute to guide the paraglider back to the launch site. So I think right now we have Alex Castronovo working on the programming. And it's been a really big challenge to first of all find someone and then mm -hmm. um, to actually start working on it. 
Right. Sounds like Dylan might be your go-to guy so, now that I'm hearing both of you speak at the same well, time. Maybe Dylan can help with well, that. Well, CAD and programming are two very oh, different things. Right. But Dini, is it safe to say there are two actuators and what you're really doing is changing the shape of your parachute to make it turn and go in the direction you want it to towards hopefully an eventual GPS coordinate, which would be our launch site. Is that a fair summary? Yes. Well, Dylan, what about you? So I know that you aren't necessarily working with a large team uh, the way that that Deanie is. Is it okay that I'm calling you Deanie, by the way? I know, I mean, obviously I'll introduce you as Arurios in the in the bio, but okay. Um, so I, I know that you're working with, I think your cousin um, on one of these papers as well, or you have worked with students in the past. What do you find most challenging with regards to either working on a team or even just developing this high level of research that you're doing on your own? Yeah, so um, I, I can talk about one problem that I have working with my cousin. So um, for those of you who don't know, um, I'm writing a paper with my cousin um, about Xenobots as well. Um, I'll be presenting that in Paris with him. Unfortunately, he couldn't go to Athens, Greece, um, but uh, he will be at Paris and I will be presenting with him. So he lives currently in Illinois and I live in Florida. So we can't really have in-person meetings to, um, we can't have in-person meetings. Um, so that's one um, problem is communication. However, we have done Zooms um, and that has been helpful, um, but that's not really the same as in-person Zooming. Right. I, I would agree with you guys. The three biggest problems that I see for working in teams with kids at your age, number one, you're not all in the same location. Some of you go to different schools. Number two, you don't drive. You are reliant on somebody else to get you where you need to be and, and uh, uh well, you're, you're not at the same school. So if you were all in one school, you know, at one time we were all in one class together. So that made it easier to get group work done when you're literally in a classroom where the projects you're working on are just part of the class. And the fact that, as Dylan mentioned, you're geographically disparate, you can't drive yourselves, you're not at the same school. I, I feel like those three make it really hard. This paraglider project's in the real world, right? It's not just a, a research paper. So there's uh, there's 3D printing, there's coding, there's assembling. We have a we have a large, I guess, test schedule that we need to create. Uh, th those are real world difficulties, right? Yeah. When I'm thinking too, Dylan, like you had a real world um, application yourself when you were designing the the um, visual, the VR, right? Like. So, so you're working on something that's also in the real world as well. How do you both manage your time for such large tasks and still be able to do your schoolwork? I mean, that's always a question we get from parents who are concerned with that. Um, yeah, so I guess I'll start. Um, so um, it's, so for schoolwork, um, we're working on these projects like something I like genuinely like doing. Um, so it's, it's more easy, it's more easier to do when you actually like doing it. So when filtering out um, schoolwork in this, like for example, like some students have um, free time where they like doing certain things like playing games. But for me, I really like um, working on these projects. Um, so it's, it, and then on weekends, I have normally have some time um, to do this. So it hasn't really been the biggest challenge for me. Um, and especially with summer, um, it's been um, very nice working on these projects. Got it. So find something that you like, because then it's not work, right? What about you, Dini? I think what's really helped me manage all these projects with my schoolwork is uh, although these projects are very big, if we break them down into much smaller tasks that instead of taking like 20 hours, maybe take one, it might, uh, it, it makes it much easier to do that and then have all my schoolwork that's due maybe for the next couple of days done and um, just work on it in small pieces. 
instead right. of one bit of yeah. that that's probably going to serve you well uh, you know in, in life in general right take a large task and 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 break it into chunks yes very good yeah. That's good. So, all right. So now we're talking about um, sixth and or seventh and eighth grade students going in. How, are you going to continue to work on these projects so that you can continue to expand your resumes with them, or are you thinking about starting something else? Um, let's start with Dylan. We'll go to Dini. Yeah. So I, of course, I'm definitely going to continue writing papers. Um, like for example, I'm going to um Paris in a couple of weeks, but I definitely um want to continue going to multiple conferences. Like, as you mentioned, yeah, high school's coming up and I think it's very important to expand on um, my resume. So yeah, I definitely plan to continue what I'm doing. Bindini? Uh I also plan to continue with my work, uh, especially with the paraglider. I definitely like to see it finished and actually um, be able to take the payload uh, from the hab back down to us. And I know that the Japanese space agency reached out to us at mm -hmm. the uh, presentation. So uh, hopefully we can work with them on their uh, 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 HABs too with the paraglider. I, I would That's very much, uh, Dini, like to take a group of you to visit that professor. He was, I have, I have emailed him just recently and uh, we are, uh, they face the same problems we do is that their balloons end up in the ocean. So that's very good. Dini, what is the next? We know Dylan's going to Paris in September. What is your next event that you'll be, uh, what's your next conference, as they say? So my next conference is the Small Sat in Utah. I'm actually leaving uh, in a couple of days on Thursday to go there. Okay. And I'm going to be presenting about high altitude balloons and about the telemetry and how we test it on the high altitude balloons before we can put them in the CubeSats. And, and this will be your first time attending SmallSat, correct? Yes, it'll be my first uh, time. Uh, three to 4,000 uh, SmallSat enthusiasts there. It's the world's largest gathering. It is truly one of my favorite conferences, uh, even though it's in, uh, you know, it's, it's in Logan, Utah, which is the middle of nowhere. It is still a fantastic conference. So it should be a should be a great experience for you, Dini. So you're both going to be continuing, and I think that that's something that you know a lot of times kids don't think about, right? The idea that they might have a project that's long term. I think oftentimes many adults and certainly students think that, oh, I just want to be done and over with something and move on to the next thing. But you guys are to be commended. In fact, all of the Wolfpack, I think, kind of has that same mentality, right? The idea that when you find something you're interested in, you can work with that over a number of years in order to continue your, your research and to really uh, to build that resume. But you both talked a little bit about the importance of conferences, and you both seem to really like doing those. What do you think are some of the biggest benefits for someone of your age actually either writing a paper or presenting at the conference? We'll start with Dylan this time. Yeah, so um, the one one of the uh, like the definitely one of the biggest benefits that I'm receiving from this is learning about STEM at an early age and gaining this real world experience at an early age. So when I do want to go apply to jobs or go to college, I have this experience already. Um, like for example, if you work on like a CubeSat project in um college, it could take two or three years. Um, so if you don't have any knowledge of like STEM or CAD or anything. Um, then you wouldn't really be able to be um, work on this project. But now that I have the knowledge that I'm learning in middle and high school, um, I can go to um, these, I can go to college and work on projects and not just, not even college in real world and work on these projects. Right, so you're actually doing the work that most people wouldn't be seeing until they were at least a senior in high school or beyond that. What about you, Dini? What do you think are the most um, 
the beneficial parts of being at a conference or writing the papers? Um, I think one of, uh, there's a couple. Um, one of them has to be the opportunity to be able to present the work that you're so passionate about to many people who are interested. Um, then the opportunity to be able to network these people with these people. And uh, you can make some really good friends who are interested in the same things you are and meet new people who might be able to help you in the future with your career. I also think that um, it's a really good opportunity to be able to boost your confidence, to be able to present to a lot more people at once. Like um, maybe people like more than the amount you would see in like the classroom. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, at one point um, at the poster session, I remember there was a group of, I don't know if they were graduate students or what, but there was a group of young men talking to you about your project. Do you remember that when you were sharing up? Who, yeah, who were they? And what were they? What were you guys discussing uh, when when uh, I saw you guys at the poster session? Um, so they were, I think, uh, Greek under or uh, Greek students who were uh, all learning about orbital mechanics. Mm -hmm. And uh, so when they saw my poster, uh, our poster on orbital mechanics, uh, they were really interested. So they had a lot of questions about like the different transfers. I remember one of them asked about the bi-elliptical transfer because I don't think he had seen that before. Right. Did, did you feel comfortable answering their questions? And, and uh, would you say that's the kind of experience that's, you know, good for your confidence building? Yeah, I, I was able to answer all of their questions. And I think it really helps build confidence. And it's also a lot of fun to talk to them. I agree with you. Yeah, yeah you, you look like you were in your element, right? Uh, I didn't see any need to walk up because you had it under control. It was uh, looked like a good interaction. I have to say, like, I always, and my role is, of course, Mr. Uh, different from Mr. Simmons in that I get so much uh, of a reward watching you guys when you present the idea that, you know, we all start off with something, we're all a little nervous, it's, at least I am when I present, but at the end of it, by the time you guys are done, you always come across like being such professionals in a way that shocks all of the adults in the audience. So both of you and, and all of the students who present really I know I, I ride you hard sometimes about deadlines and practices, but it really shows. And we're so proud of, of not only when you're presenting, but just the hard work that goes into it before you get to travel and present that. So I'm really, really um, glad to hear that you're gonna continue on with those because they are such important projects. And I think it's gonna really help you stand out on your resumes. We just have a few minutes left. Um, so we normally just ask for any advice. I don't know, do you wanna ask any questions before I get to the last one? No, I, I think we'll follow up with you obviously after Paris and after SmallSat. We may have students come back and share about the experiences from those conferences, but that would be a, a, a later broadcast. Yeah, and I guess as you guys are starting Wolfpack for fall, these sound like, you know, the things that you want to focus on when you start to come and plan your time to say, like, in the case of Udini with the, this build or whatever, you know, just getting that kind of schedule under your belt, figuring out how to put in your, your um, uh, putting it on your calendars and, and making it happen. The same with you, Dylan, you've got so many things going on with your, aren't you the one doing the patent too for your, yeah. Yeah. You guys are incredible. It's just, uh, we could do a bunch of shows about you all. But my final question is always this. There may be some students or parents listening who might be on the fence. They've heard, they see these amazing things, but they believe that their kid may not be able to do it. What advice do you have for kids who might be listening in today about whether or not they should get involved in something like the Aerospace and Innovation Academy? And I think we'll start with Dylan and we'll end with Dini. 
Yes. Yeah, so some advice I have. Yeah, I, I came to this program not necessarily want to be like an astronaut or anything like that. I was always interested in CAD. And um, the thing is, like, in their students, there's some like, so I was more interested in CAD and other students were like interested in art and they created a book. And then other students were interested in networking and they create connections. So the but my point is, is there's always like a place for you in this industry and this program. Um, so even if so if you like like something and you're like, oh, I won't fit in in this program, you probably will because there's definitely a place for everybody. Thank you. Dini? My advice would be to do what you're really interested in. Uh, don't be nervous when you go to present. Uh, the people who are there are always very interested in what you have. They want to see you succeed and they're very supportive. And uh, don't miss the opportunity to network. Um, I think it's very valuable whether it's just for like a friend that you meet or someone who can help you later on in your life. Agreed. Excellent job. Agreed. Good advice, both of you. All right, guys. Well, with that, we're going to conclude for today, but we know that we'll be hearing back from you in various ways as we continue your work at the Aerospace and Innovation Academy. So thank you so much for meeting with us today. Thank you. I'm always so impressed when we get to talk with our kids from their own perspectives about, you know, why they choose to do the projects that they do or how they go about solving the many problems that come, you know, about along the way. And more and more, like even though I, we've been doing this for some time now, I just, I can't get over how advanced our students are. And it has little to do with really our um, applications of what we're doing with them, but rather just allowing them to kind of find a lane in which they want to run and then they they just kind of continue to do so. And these two boys in particular, uh, we've known for quite some time, and uh, we, we really do consider all of our students and their families part of a one big, big happy family. As we mentioned, if you're looking to find a place for your students to really expand, not only learn about something from the context of a book, but rather apply that passion area to these um, you know unique and distinctive opportunities, we encourage you to reach out. We have placements available both online and face-to-face, for students who are definitely STEM-minded in the middle and high school area, and even some university students now as well as we continue to, um, to expand our work. So please do reach out to us. You can see our contact information in the show notes at aerospacehigh.org. Um, but we look forward to talking with you about how we can help your student say, let's go to space. <laughs>